What's up, Mike? How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Pretty good. That's good. That's good. So we got like an interesting big show today. Is yeah. It... Yeah, definitely. A little different kind of show. Yeah, it's episode 102 of the Rock Show, and today we are talking about five um, live albums that were awesome or that rock. Yeah. Now, just off the bat, I want to say that these aren't like, you know, the five greatest live albums ever made or the five, number one, five, four, three, two, one, you know, best of all time. These are just five albums I kind of picked up off the top of my head that I think are like important live albums. And we're going to visit this again probably later on in the year. We'll talk about another five. But uh, what's interesting about live albums, Rob, is that sometimes they're great for different reasons. All right. Sometimes it's just a the, the the that particular show captured the band at like its prime. Okay, that happens a lot. You want that's that's really what you want to have happen on a live album. But also, it's sometimes it's just the the the, the banter in between the songs, the things these guys say to the audience. Uh, sometimes it's just the, the versions of the songs actually end up being better than the studio, and sometimes. You could have a live album that actually breaks a band. Doesn't happen much, but one of the one of the albums we're going to talk about tonight uh, definitely broke the band because they had three albums before that that really didn't you know go very far commercially. We're going to talk about it. So um, in no particular order, I just figured we'd talk about uh, the first one to be Ramones. It's alive. Now, what do you think about this when you listen to it? Because I know you said you, you had never heard the Ramones alive. It was fucking fantastic. From beginning yeah, to end. That, right, right. I mean, it's basically the first three albums, Ramones, Leave Home, and Rocket to Rush Alive. It's like almost every song. Yeah. Okay, I think there's maybe two or three left out. But it's like, it's, you don't even need to have the first three albums if you got this one. You know, because they, they play every song. Uh, this was done in, uh, it was recorded December 31st, 1977. Yeah, it's like New Year's. At, yeah, New Year's Eve at the Rainbow Theater in uh, in yep. Now, remember our our buddy from the uh, from the Slade show, Ron Green. Yeah, he was at that. Oh show. shit! Yeah, he's the only person I ever met in my life that was at that show. And uh, they took the name of the album from the 1974 horror movie "It's Alive." Remember that one with the yeah, baby? Yeah, that was great. The killer babies. Yeah. yeah. Um, originally it was released. As a two LP set, it was a double album in April of '79 in the UK only. It was an import only, and uh, I remember for a lot of years it was very expensive to buy it uh, in the states. You used to see it on the the back shelf of like Bleaker Bob's and places like that. It'd be like you know forty bucks, fifty bucks, which was a lot of money back in the early '80s and things like that. So I didn't have for a long time. Uh, I always wanted to hear it. 
I was a big Ramones fan for a long time before I had actually heard the album because not too many people had it in America. In fact, it wasn't even released in America until it came out in 1995 on CD. Wow. Yeah, so for like, you know, 17 years, you couldn't get it in this country. Another interesting little tidbit. um, Prior to that, uh, when it was released in America in 95 on disc, there was a Japanese version of the album that I had, but it was like a shortened version on CD. And I had gotten it, I remember, like, in the late 80s. And it was like, instead of being a double album, it was just one album. And it was obviously songs missing. I have never, ever seen that again. I wonder if any of our listeners ever came across it. I don't have it anymore because I, once I got the, uh, the full set when it came out, I just got rid of it. But uh, I always wondered if anybody ever found that because it was such a strange to take you know, a double album and, and make it into one. You know, what do you, what do you leave off? But it's a perfect show. Yeah, because this song, this album pretty much had 28 songs. And um, you know what? It's about, it's like, uh, it's, it's under an hour. It's like 53 minutes almost. And that was a typical Ramones concert in that day. Okay, you get 28 songs in 53 minutes. That's, you know, they just played a million miles an hour. Nobody was doing that. Now, did you know that they actually had recorded four concerts, four different shows, at a couple of different locations uh, around England prior to picking that one. I think it was the last one of the four, okay, at the Rainbow. And uh, they basically picked it for two reasons. One, they thought musically it was best, the way they played and everything. And also that 10 rows of seats were thrown at the stage after they went off. There was like a complete riot. Wow. Yes, they they wanted to document that, I guess. And another little interesting tidbit is uh, for, for people that saw the Ramones back in the day, um, in the early years, they didn't use any intro music before they went on stage. Um, starting in like the, I think the early 80s or so, they started using the good, the bad, and the ugly theme before they went on. Wow. Okay, you know. And uh, this was a time when they weren't using any intro music. So it's, it's really the only live album from them that you hear. And you don't get that like good, bad, and the ugly theme in the beginning. Um, Rhino Records did a great job in 2019. They put out a four CD, two LP anniversary set. Uh, and what it was, it was all four shows that they originally recorded. Okay. So you got to hear four other concerts. Now I think, they're exactly the same set. I'm pretty sure. Uh, one thing the Ramones didn't do too much is if they were on a certain tour, they didn't mix up the sets too much. They might change one song here and there, but more or less it was going to be the same show every night during the whole tour. Um, also, they put the two LPs of the original you know, album together in this set and uh, a great book inside with pictures and everything. It's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it definitely look like, you know, when you look at the thing and you look at the album and you see all those songs, because um, you know what's funny? You mentioned in Japan. I remember one time a lot of albums would come in. They, they had, like, the Japanese version, and there was always something missing. There were never really complete albums. Right. It would always be, like, a song left out. Or, yeah, it was weird, yeah. Yeah. Something... yeah, I don't know if they're really, like, bootlegs, maybe? Or, like, who knows? There might actually be bootlegs. Like, if you go to Chinatown, they're... they're they bootleg oh, yeah. everything. It's amazing what you can get. 
you know? Course. I mean, movies too, you know, they do the same thing with that. It's funny that we're talking because in, um, um, in episode 98 of The Rock Show, we did that review of the Rock and Roll High School. What a fucking shit yep. show. And now this album oh, was yeah, like, man. holy shit, man. Yeah, no, this was the real thing. I mean, they they had actually, Rock and Roll High School was about a year later after this. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Uh, just another to mention, um, so I think it was Sire Records or Rhino, one or the other. Uh Probably Rhino, I think, put out a few years back um, a radio concert of the Ramones. And it was about a week later after this Rainbow Theater show, when they came back to the States, they played the Palladium on 14th Street. And it was recorded for WNEW on the radio. It was was broadcast and you can get it on disc. And it's basically exactly like It's Alive. I mean, these guys were on fire. Like, you know, 77 going into 78. They were really just on fire. It was the last time around for Tommy. Uh, Tommy Ramon would hang it up after that tour and just be producing. And then Marky would join the band for the next album, Road to Ruin. But uh, it was, a you know, an amazing time and a peak. You know, once again, it was like a live album, caught the band at their peak. And and I, I don't think too many people will argue with me. I think it's one of the greatest live albums ever recorded in general by anybody. It's definitely a very, very good live album. It's, you know, it got everything yeah. you wanted, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's what you want. And they, 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 there's no letdowns with it. And you get the band at their peak, you know? Now, you know what the, the, fun, the, you know what the funny thing about yeah. the album before we go to another one? The thing is, if you put yeah. the album on, you don't even realize how fast it goes to from an hour. Like, it's an hour-long album. You don't realize how fast. Like, by the end, you're like, it seemed like a half an hour passed, and then you go, holy shit, it was an hour worth of music, and it's fantastic. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, 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 it's true. I mean, in the early days of the Ramones, when they were playing CBGBs, um, you know, they would do like 15-minute sets. Yeah. Okay? But it was, you know, you might get you might get something like 10, you know, 11 songs in 15 minutes. Yeah, it's amazing. You know? It's amazing. Yeah, you know. And people used to say, "Oh, well, they don't play an hour, but they play an hour worth of hour worth of music in fifteen minutes." Yeah, because you know? there's so many songs. You'll be like, "It's like they just they just yeah. knock them out, boom, 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 boom." Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, everybody, if you've never checked that out, you should. Ramones, it's alive. Okay. Now, the next album I want to talk about uh, is by a uh, well, you know, one of the most famous bands in the world, the Rolling Stones. The Rolling, the Rolling Stones, right? Um, the album is called "Get Your Yayas Out." the Rolling Stones live. And now this was released on September 4th, 1970. Uh, it was released on Decca records in the UK and London records in the United States. It has the distinction of being the first live album to ever reach number one in the UK. Wow. History, by anybody. And uh, it actually got to number six in the USA, which is pretty good. That is pretty um, good. The interesting thing about this album is that it was recorded mostly in Madison Square Garden, okay, 1969. Uh, also was recorded a little bit in Baltimore, one track. Um, this was when Mick Taylor was doing his first tour with the band. Brian Jones had left the band and shortly died thereafter. Yeah. And they hadn't, they hadn't played in the States in about three or four years. And uh, they were anxious to play. It was the first time they had, like, 
real PA systems and things like that. Because when they had played in the past, it was like, you know, the Stones had the same problem the Beatles had, just everybody screaming. Okay, so you couldn't hear them. And uh, now, now you, you know, they were having big shows now. Okay, big rock concerts had taken over. That was becoming the norm. Uh, and they were playing Madison Square Garden. It was one of the first really big concerts that, that the Garden had ever had. The Garden opened in 68 over there on 7th Avenue. So this, is, this was like late 69 this show happened. Um, it was also, uh, it, was, it, it, it was recorded about maybe a month before the Let It Bleed album came out. Um, basically, you're looking at, a, this is the set list. I mean, it's amazing. Jumpin' Jack Flash, yep. Carol, the Chuck Berry song. Uh, Stray Cat Blues, Love in Vain, okay, Midnight Rambler, then Sympathy for the Devil, Live With Me, Little Queenie, Honky Tonk Woman, and then Street Fighting Man. I mean, it's fucking perfect. Yeah, it's like a great, it's a great fucking Rolling Stone uh, play this for a concert. And it was funny, like you say, but they did the, they they, they play in different places, you know, because the Midnight Rambler was live from MSG. Well, it was all if you if you break it down, um, they had played two nights yeah. at Madison Square Garden, November twenty seventh and November twenty eighth, and every um, song on the album except "Love in Vain" is taken from those two Madison Square Garden shows. Yeah, the "Love in Vain" track is taken from November twenty sixth at the Baltimore Civic. Yeah, the Baltimore. Yeah, because I thought this because how come the Midnight Rand is the only one that stayed live from Madison Square Garden when you look at the album? Uh, yeah, but if you if you research it, it breaks it down. And I think in the liner notes inside it says more. Oh, okay, okay. Good. but yeah, yeah, it might have, on the back it might not have been clear, but uh, you know, now I just have to mention. So many people were at those shows at the Garden that I've met over the years. Uh, my buddy Rick Rivets was there with his friend Arthur Kane, and both of them would start the New York Dolls in about a year. Okay. Oh yes, yeah, so uh, check this out. Yeah, so you're 100 percent right. So um, most of the songs were done on the uh, the 20. Like uh, Jumpy Jack Flash was done the 27 in Madison Square Garden. Carol was done on the 28. Uh, uh-huh. The Straight Cat Bullet was done on the 28th. Love in Vain was in Baltimore. Right. So a lot of the stuff. 26th. Yeah, a lot of the stuff. A lot of the stuff was uh, mostly most of the stuff is from MSG. And they're like, one, I think one is Baltimore. That's it. Yeah. And, and from what I understand, there were very little overdubs on this album. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's pretty much raw, live, you know, which you want to hear. Um. If you ever want, if you ever watch the movie "Give Me Shelter," yeah, okay, the documentary on on the Stones, all those live tracks when 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 Jagger has like the Uncle Sam hat on and everything, that that's all from the Garden. One of those, it's either the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth. I don't know what. Dude, do you but, see um what they did with um the the they released the fortieth annual deluxe box and it's like holy shit. Yeah, did they put like everything that like wasn't on there, like the the songs they didn't use? Yeah, like, there's I a bunch of songs. There's like Prodigy Son, You Got It, oh, right. you know. There's a there's a bunch yeah, of yeah. stuff that they also they did like Proud Mary, Son of a Preacher Man. They did wow. a bunch of other songs, you know, Under My Thumb, I'm Free, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. They did all this, and um, and it's it's amazing. Then there's also a DVD, you know. 
Yeah, and then the, the DVD that's the, under my toe, I'm free backstage with Jimi Hendrix. They were playing with <laughs> Jimi. Did, did you ever did Did you ever look at the album cover? Um, like really look at it. No, I didn't. Let me see. Okay, I, it's, it's 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 a weird album cover because it's just Charlie Watts. Okay, and there's a donkey next to him. With all oh yeah, I do see the guy. The guy's jumping in the air, and then the donkey guy. Like yeah, okay, yeah. Now, did you ever look at what Charlie's wearing on his shirt? No. It's, it's, if you can tell, it's 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 a woman's breast. Oh my God! I see it now. <laughs> I would have never noticed that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a weird album cover. It just features him. You know, it's funny. And uh, the the reference to "Get Your Yayas Out" is like an old blues kind of reference. Well. I always thought it meant that. I think maybe it has two meanings. Like it might mean that, but then it actually means like get your ass out, like get out of here. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that is funny. You know, get your yayas out. Get your yayas out. So okay, so that's two, and now the third one. Um, there's a great story with this one, and this is the band that basically this live album broke them. Okay, and I'm talking about Kiss, and the album is Kiss Alive. And it came out in September of 1975. Now, there's a great story behind this, okay? Now, the three albums that they had prior to this was uh, Dress to Kill, Hotter Than Hell, and just the one called Kiss, okay? They sold okay, but they weren't big commercial successes. What they were known for by the time Alive came out was their live show, Okay. Now, they were on Casablanca Records, and Casablanca Records was mostly a disco label, to be honest with you. Yeah. But they did have, they did have a few rock acts on there, one being Kiss. Casablanca had done something, uh, I think, the year before, maybe in 74, that was just, when you just think about it, you shake your head, at what, and you just don't understand why they would do it. But they released a 2LP double album set of the tonight show featuring johnny carson and all it was was just highlight audio highlights of the show okay over time okay okay and it bombed nobody bought this thing okay (laughs) if you think about it who would buy that okay i mean if you watch carson every night you don't need to like have a record of like you know what i'm saying it's just stupid yeah buy that and i don't know who thought that up but they had spent so much money on it that, and, and, and a lot of like, even even distributors that got free copies, they were sending them back. That's how bad it was. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it put the label Casablanca in, in in a financial bind. And what was happening was they weren't paying their bands, bands that they had contracts with. Okay, they weren't getting their royalties because of this big mess. And one of those bands was Kiss. Kiss for the first three albums had only got something like $15,000. That's crazy. Yeah, and no royalties. Okay, that was just advances, I think, that they had gotten maybe 5000 per album, something like that. Then they had to split it four ways, and they got management and fees and touring fees and whatever. They weren't making any money, not in the beginning. And they were, they were spending a lot of their own money just to keep these shows going. So they were getting set up. And uh, they were making, you know, they, they, they were threatening lawsuits. Uh, 
I think they actually had a lawsuit going against Neil Bogart of, of Casablanca. Okay. Kind of like a breach of contract type thing. And, uh, basically, uh, Bogart decided that he was going to throw some money into kiss, but he didn't want to throw a lot. And he said, what would be the easiest thing to do? And that would be a live album. All right. So they all agreed, um, because members of kiss felt that the three studio albums really didn't capture their live sound. Okay. What they were about. And, uh, which I, I, I guess I agree with that because kiss alive is, is fucking great, but there's yeah, also and it's a long album. album. It's almost like uh, eighty minutes long, too. It's a du- it's a double album. Yeah, okay, it's like you're, and then you feel like you're really at a concert. Well, yeah, and and but I got to tell you how all that happened. Okay, first of all, they they recorded it in a couple of different locations. Uh, Detroit's Cobo Hall. There was some tracks from there. Cleveland Music Hall. There was some tracks from there. Uh, there was a place in Davenport, Iowa, they played, and also Wildwood, New Jersey. All right. So there was four locations that they drew songs from, and that was between May, June, and July of 75, and the album would come out in September of 75. Now, they got the name of it, Kiss Alive, from, the, uh, from Slade, because Slade had Slade Alive that was released in 72. And they were big Slade fans, so they wanted to have a Kiss Alive. Okay. Now, Bill Coin, who was their manager, uh, you know, sat down with Bogart, and they all kind of agreed that a live album would, would be the right way to go. But uh, Bogart didn't even have money for a tour. And Dress to Kill had just come out, and uh, they really didn't have any money to give the band. So Bill Coin laid out $300,000 of his own money for the tour just to, to have a, a kick-ass tour going that they could record from. And uh, that's what they did. And they went out there and, they, and they, they kicked ass and they got some great tracks, okay? And here's the thing, though. For years, the band always held fast to this story that they never overdubbed, okay? But it wasn't true, Wow! Uh, in fact, in fact, that whole fucking album is overdubbed. Okay, yeah, it was the, o- the only overdubbed. Thing, <laughs> the only thing that's not overdubbed is Peter Chris's drum tracks. They're legit. Okay, but there was a lot of fuck ups on that tour. Okay, like a lot of times they would be recording, and maybe Paul wasn't singing directly into the mic good enough, or a mic would fall down or something when they were recording. Okay, it was, so, it was so, a match. Yeah, so match. yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they were known for being sloppy, in, in, you know, in the early years, and uh, they basically spent the month of August before the album came out in September for the release in September. They had to do some overdubs, so they went to the Electric Lady Studios uh, in August and they overdubbed a lot. And uh, basically, Chris's tracks were not touched, but everybody else's was. All right. So and, and, and Alive 2 was the same way. OK, uh, what they did on on Alive is they spliced audience noises together That's from, different, funny. from different shows to create this like, you know, you're there kind of thing. And uh, it worked. It worked. But, it, you know, and you'd be surprised how many times this happens with live albums. OK. 
Uh, bands sometimes lose the masters for things that they recorded, I, and then just go into that. yeah, and just go into the studio and record something and put it out as a live album. That's happened. Okay, so uh, the one thing I love about this album with, with a live is like the whole gatefold sleeve that opens up, and you got your little tour program with the different uh, kind of handwritten notes from each band member. Okay, and then uh, oh, what else was there? There was like different. I forget if there was like little autographs inside or something like that. You know, a lot of yeah. Guys, it was a unique, it was a unique album. The concept yeah. was pretty. Um, you know, it's a unique concept. You know, yeah. now five days after it was released, Bill Coin walked into Bogart's office and said Kiss was leaving Casablanca. Okay, Bogart gave him a two million dollar check to stay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you know what the big hit off that album was that broke it for them? Rock and roll all night and party every day. Yeah. Okay, but at the live version of that, because the, the studio version had been out already and it really hadn't made, you know, a big splash. But the, for some reason, the live version of it, like, just took off. And, and that's, you know, when you hear it on the radio today, that's what you hear is from a live. You never hear the studio album version. There's a lot of you know what it's funny that there's a lot of things that do that that they 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 release and then they just set up the live version they never hear the yeah it's just weird you never hear the uh, the the other version for some reason I don't know why well you know like I said before you know sometimes the live version becomes the version okay? yeah it just it just happens and it sticks with in people's minds um the the next band I want to talk about is the Cramps. Okay, one of my all-time favorites. The Cramps was good. This is a very good album, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, The Cramps um, didn't have many live albums. Uh, they had a lot of bootlegs and things like that. But uh, the first official live album from them was 1983's Smell of Female. Okay? Yeah. And everyone points to that as the quintessential Cramps live album. Uh, captures them at a peak. Also... Uh, the, they were in a fucked up kind of contractual problem with, with their record company and they were not allowed to release any new material uh, on an album. So what they did is they released a live album at the Peppermint Lounge and it was all new material. So when you're listening to Smell of Female, in a sense, it's a studio album because it's only... It's all songs that are only on that live album. You never, you don't hear them anywhere else. Yeah. Okay. So they kind of did that intentionally. Now I love that album, and uh, you know it's a go-to album all the time. Smell of Female. There's some great songs, classic shit on there. The problem I have with it is it's just too short. It never yeah. feels. It never feels like a full album. Well, that's why I, I picked this next one. It's called Rockin' and Reelin' in Auckland, New Zealand. And it's basically them on the 1986 A Date with Elvis tour. Uh, they were they were backing the the uh, the studio album A Date with Elvis that had come out in early '86, and uh, it's a full show. And yeah. I think it just captures them at a very unique moment. Uh, it's really their first tour with a bass player. Okay, wow. um, they always use two guitar players. In the studio, sometimes Poison Ivy would play bass, but uh, they actually got themselves a bass player for the first time instead of using just two guitarists on stage. Her name was Candy Del Mar, 
and she was fucking great. Um, that was her first tour with them. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, you know how they found her? Wow. Okay. Uh, they had moved out to Los Angeles, and one day they would just go into the local liquor store and they see this chick <laughs> and it just happened to be her in a parking lot. She played bass and she joined the band, you know, only, in, only in rock and roll universe. Can that happen. Yeah. That's you know, pretty unique. Yeah. And she was like 19 at the time, like still in high school. Or something, Damn. You know, but, um, what, what's great about this album is, uh, most of the tracks are from 86 is a date with Elvis, which is one of my favorite cramps albums. And, uh, well, you got Lux Interior on vocals, Poison Ivy, okay, on guitar, Candy Del Mar, like I said, on bass, and Nick Knox, of course, was on drums. You had tracks like The Hot Pearl Snatch, People Ain't No Good, <laughs> What's Inside a Girl, okay, Corn Fed Dames, Sunglasses After Dark, that was from the first album. You got Heartbreak Hotel, which is, to me, the greatest Elvis cover that I've ever heard, their yeah. version of it. Uh, Chicken, which is a great tune. Do the Clam, which is an actual Elvis song too, from the from the movie Clam Bake. Uh, Aloha from Hell, and Kenya, <laughs> and and the famous Kenya Pussy Do the Dog, followed, yes. follow, <laughs> followed by uh, Bird Feed, which is a surfing bird, really. Um, I think I've told, I think I think I've told this story before. I remember in twelfth grade, in eight, when I was eighty six in in eighty six and twelfth grade. I was wearing a cramps, can your pussy do the dog shirt? It was like a picture of poison ivy in like a tiger outfit with a tail. And she's bent over. And it says, can your pussy do the dog I got thrown out of school that day when I was wearing Yeah, you're like, that's, that's that kind of, that shit ain't flying, man. Yeah. But, you know, this album is great for, for the banter that's in between the songs. Because Lux Interior was one of the greatest front men ever, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, did you ever see the cramps, Rob? I don't. I don't think you did, right? Um, no, I don't think I might have been in places where they were, but I never really saw them. You know, like yeah. they were. They were like one of those groups that they came in and gone, and you know what? Well, you didn't really discover them is after they were done. You know, right, 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 right. And they didn't come like in the later years. They didn't come around as much. You know, yeah. But uh, earlier they they used to come around a couple times a year, but then it was just like once every two years. And, yeah, like New York had that weird taboo anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you got everybody or you got nothing. It was amazing right, how, yeah. how, how how New York was. It's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, There's no yeah. in between. You either get a bunch of people or nobody came here for years, you know? It's true. It's true. And then and you now, have now one year where, where everybody came. Skip, now people skip it. They play Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. They they skip it. The, now who knows with the pandemic what it's going to be, you know? Who knows, man? That, now, that, especially with a pandemic, that shit is definitely gonna be fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was gonna say is the the banter between the songs, the stuff that Lux would say, okay, and he was he could just come up with shit like at the spur of the moment, off the top of his head. Okay, one thing he used to do a lot is like they had the song TV set, okay, yeah. which they don't do on this particular album, but they always did TV set live. And he used to like out of his pocket. He would pull out the TV guide, and he would he would read <laughs> shit off the TV. And it was just funny, like because he would be like, you know, he would review a certain show and, and be like, you know, why do you watch this? This sucks, you know, or something like that. But then, like uh, on this album, 
now a date with Elvis had come out, I think, in January of '86, and this was recorded uh, August 27th in '86. So they had been on tour for quite a while, and um, the album itself, the studio album, "A Date with Elvis," is dedicated to Ricky Nelson. You remember Ricky Nelson, right? Yeah. Okay. Now you remember what happened to Ricky Nelson? How what he died? How he died? Well, he, him and his, he was all going from, he was on tour and he was flying in a private jet and everybody was free basing cocaine and, <laughs> and they crashed into a fucking hill, into a mountain yeah. or something, you know? That was, that was bad. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they dedicated the album to him and they used to always do the Ricky Nelson song, Lonesome Town, which was back from his rockabilly days in the late fifties, yeah. early sixties. So at the beginning of fucking Lonesome Town, he's like, He's like, this is a song. <laughs> he goes, we got love songs. We got love songs up the ass, right? He goes, then he says, uh, this is a song about free basing cocaine on an airplane. It's about Ricky Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, what the fuck, yeah, man? Like, oh, my God, you know? And uh, it's just great. I mean, I, I love this album. And it's I never get sick of it. Like, the, you know, the version of Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, just stretched out. You know, there's a lot of bass on this album, which you didn't get from the cramps prior to that. So it's a little bit of a different sound for them. And, uh, yeah, it's a very good album. Like, you know, if, you, if you're going to buy an album, I, this is very highly recommended, just like the Ramon or the Kiss. Like, all the albums that we're recommending here, but the cramp was a fucking special fucking album, man. Yeah, yeah. And for a long time, you, it was hard to find this album. I, I don't know if it was originally an import, Okay, I, I remember seeing it uh, on vinyl back in the 80s when it came out, and it was pricey. It was on their own label, though, which was Vengeance. So I, I, I wasn't sure if it was an import or maybe just shit on that label was more money where it came from. I don't know. But uh, all that doesn't happen anymore. You can just buy it on Amazon for ten ninety nine or something. You know, it's all good. Yeah, Amazon, all this stuff you can get, definitely Amazon got all these albums, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, the last one we're going to talk about, Rob, okay, uh, and this is going to be a little bit different kind of discussion here. Um, it's about yeah, the, Ted Nugent's the, Double yeah. Live Gonzo. Yeah. Okay. This is a special album. This is a special album. Now, you know, when rehearsing this, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, researching this, not rehearsing it, researching it, um, basically, I, I was finding all different interesting stuff, and I was reading all these different old reviews and and stuff. Uh, surprisingly, Wikipedia didn't have much on it, but I found some other places. And whenever I do research, I always kind of take from different things, and I tell you guys about it. But with this one in particular, there was a, a blog called The Daily Guru that I it still exists. I, I used to read it more often a few years ago. But uh, a guy wrote about this back in 2009, and I'm just going to read this to you. Because I couldn't, have said, right. I couldn't have said it any better, okay, about this album. All right? So this is about Ted Nugent's Double Live Gonzo that came out in 1978. And it's from The Daily Guru, August 26, 2009. It's a blog. Now, here it goes. It says, it is never good to start off this way. But chances are, to fully appreciate this review, you will need to completely forget nearly everything you think about the artist in question. <laughs> though, he, though he is now more well-known as one of the more outspoken and polarizing people on the planet due to things he says, there was a time 
when Ted Nugent was nothing more than one of the greatest rock and roll players on the planet, taking influence from blues rock greats like Bo Diddley, Jimi Hendrix, and even his peers like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page. Nugent remains one of the most amazing guitarists of his time, playing his unique blend of blues-based, psychedelic, testosterone-laced rock music. There are truly few artists who delivered the rock goods in the mid and late 70s quite like the Nuge. Though they are fantastic records, Ted Nugent's first three studio records were clearly lacking the atmosphere and mood that made his live performances so phenomenal. Nugent solved this problem by making his fourth release a two LP collection of live performances and the album is 1978's Double Live Gonzo. It remains one of the most stunning live releases in the history of music. The amazing tone found throughout Double Live Gonzo must be noted as Nugent's longtime producer Rick Browd uh, somehow finds the way to perfectly replicate the mood of Nugent's live performances. The sound is forward in the mix and clear enough that not a note is missed. Yet there is still some separation between the music and the listener, and this creates a truly magical mood throughout the album. Then again, it may just be Nugent's blistering performance that makes the record so amazing. Truth be told, Nugent Nugent is in top form, both musically as well as the manner in which he works the crowd throughout Double Live Gonzo. Unlike his more modern reputation throughout this album, Nugent plays the crowd perfectly, dropping one-liners that keep the crowd in a frenzy and add to the energy of the songs. This is not to say that Nugent is filtering his words, but one has to admire his ability to be wonderfully rock and roll when he ignites the crowd with statements like, anyone who wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, he says that. Uh, This notion remains throughout the entire album. As Nugent and his backing band never look back with each and every song on Double Live Gonzo becoming an all-out musical assault. And the undeniable amazing musicianship of Nugent has rarely been more clear and awe-inspiring. The band even presents their own lightning-fast, truly incredible take on the classic Baby Please Don't Go, while Ted Nugent's hit single Stranglehold is certainly a highlight of the album. Right. The band also presents a few songs that at the time were new, including Yank Me, Crank Me, and a recently released single called Cat Scratch Fever. Simply put, there is not a weak moment anywhere on the album, and it remains one of the most stunning live musical documents ever released. It goes on for a few more paragraphs, but, you know, he's right, okay? It's, it's just like a quintessential moment in, in live album history, all right? And it's for everything. Like, he's at his peak, and it's the banter in between the songs. Now, one, yeah. ba- one band that was listening closely to the, to the banter was Nashville pussy, because there's that line where he says, this is for all the Nashville pussy out there. That's how they got the name to their band. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. From double live Gonzo. Um, Nugent's kind of like, we did that show last year on him with, 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 uh, George, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always get into it with people like, you know, they can't stand him in this neck because of his politics. But I'm like, you got to listen to him play, man. It's got nothing to do with that anymore. You know, just listen to the first couple albums. I mean, he's he's amazing, you know, and that live album really, really showed it. 
Don't you think? He's like, yeah, he's just like a good, pure rock and roller. He got that voice. And when he start playing, you can just easily forget whatever's around you and just listen to his voice. And he takes it to another level, man. It's like incredible. And um, and that rendition of fucking uh, Cat Scratch Fever, I think yeah. it's fucking phenomenal on, on this live album. And he had just released that single. Yeah. Um, I think it was moving up the charts at the time that this had come out. Um, I love Stranglehold and I love Stormtrooping. Uh, yeah, Stormtroopers. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just what the doctor ordered. That's what the album starts off with. That's that's Wanding Street Putang. Yep, that's stuff another that, one. Stuff that you could never say today on an album. No, no. <laughs> and then you got the Motor City Mad Madhouse is pretty good yeah, too. You know, yeah, he did like a, a ten minute version, like eleven minute version almost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. So this also feels like this also feels you know what this felt like a live album too because they had a longer version of some of the songs which was even better. Well, yeah, I mean he was known for that, you know, do jams and stuff, and, yeah, you know, extend stuff out, you know. But I was going to ask you um, if you could pick a decade. I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but what do you think was the best decade for live albums? Probably between uh, I say between the seventies and eighties. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, like, in the 70s, it really became its own thing. You know, like, in the 60s, the only live albums you ever heard was from, like, jazz people, okay? Rock, rock albums, had it, there hadn't been too many successful live rock albums. The Stones had the one called Now that came out in, like, 65 or 66. Uh, but, you know, mo most rock bands hadn't really tried it. Because the technology really wasn't great to record, and no, I wasn't jazz, jazz, and stuff like that. Uh, even classical music was done live, okay. And they would say, you know, live in the, you know, from the blue note or wherever, you know, that they're playing. And and but that's because jazz audiences like just shut the fuck up and listen, you know, so you can record. Yeah. <laughs> Rock fans aren't going to do that. You know, so, you know, you know what's funny about um live albums. Sometimes they would make a live album just to um fill um like contract contract oh, yeah. agreement because oh, like, they had to take it. So you know what we 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 oh we filmed this and it sounds pretty good and then they would take it just to um just to you know they they, they needed another album. Yeah, so, yeah, we, so we, we, a live we, album. Mm -hmm. The same thing like uh, that's what sometimes you get a greatest hit album. They just need another album and. Hey, let's put something together real quick. But live album and greatest hits, I was pretty much, oh, we need to fill a contract. Or some of these bands, we even finish a contract with a live album and then move on to another label. So that that's happens a lot. That. Yeah, that happens yeah. a lot. And it's also, it's just much more simple to record a live album than it is in the studio, make a studio album. You know, hey, think, yeah. of, think about that person. Hey, welcome to the music business. Exactly. It's, it's four albums, <laughs> and you can't make the you can't make the four album because you got water block or you're all fucked up or you're high or whatever. All right, let's take out a live album and then you fill your contract. You know, yeah, that's pretty yeah. much what it was. Or if you're smart, you record as you go along some live stuff, yeah. and then you don't even have to go out and do anything. You just put it together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's but that's think about how how the business was with that. That, that you know, some of these people would do really good uh, live album, but 
You know what? Live album was just like um, you don't see too many live album go to number ones, and when they did, it was like holy shit, you know. Well, uh, the last ones that I remember that did well was a lot of the unplugged stuff. Unplugged was phenomenal. Yeah, that was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't like the Nirvana unplugged go to number one or something like that. Nirvana, you had Nirvana, you had the um, you had the um, what's it called? Asus Chain one did really good. You yeah. had the one with yeah. uh. Eric Clapton's um, Unplugged was phenomenal. The, the Kiss Unplugged did good, right? The Kiss yeah, was I mean, Unplugged, too. That was, yeah, they, they, they did a few. You know what? That's going to be one that we got to do in the show just on Unplugged. And yeah. I, I, I would, to me, I would put the, to me, the uh, Nevada Unplugged was one of the best because they did The Man That Sold the World. Right. And they did such a great rendition of that yep. on that live, which was like phenomenal. They did a few, um, they did a few things. They did a mid puppet show. They did, you know what? Yeah. They went into it. was great. It was a great live yeah. album. The same thing like um, with the Eric Clapton. I, 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 to me, those are the, the, the two albums. You, um, the Kiss was good too. You know, there were so many people that came through that unplugged scene that was like, wow, man, this was really good. And it was, it was a great recording. You know, like, you, you know, it was studio stuff, but recorded for MTV. It was crazy. They had a, uh, a great. Sound, I don't know who did those, if it was always the same person, but whatever the sound engineer was and producer of, the, of those albums, they were always, they always sounded good. Even if I didn't like the band that much, I was always like, damn, it sounds good. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. It yeah. did sound good, which was yeah. like, you know what? And um, you know, and they didn't do much to it either. They would just put mics and let them let the guy just fucking rock it out, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, we should do a show on that down the line. Yeah, like like uh, unplugged. Yeah, that was like an incredible. You know what? You they, they they got a few albums. They got like a, I own probably like six, seven of those albums that I really like. But I remember to me the Nevada and Eric Clapton really stick out. The Eric Clapton was fantastic. Yeah, the Clapton one I haven't. I got I haven't listened to that in ages. Oh man, that that they had he had a great rendition of later. Everything he just played it. Oh my God, uh, Tears yeah. from Heaven, fantastic yeah. album. Right, you know, right, right. So this episode will be up at the end of January, and then we're going to do our February Black History Month. And this year yep. we're going to be talking about some uh, mostly Delta Blues artists, uh, Sunhouse, Robert Johnson. Uh, yeah, I noticed uh, that. Yeah, we're back to yeah. blues. Blues guys we're going to talk about. Uh, Bo Diddley from Chicago, right? And uh, yeah. I forget the last one, but... We're going to do our, you know, Black History Month for that. And then in March, we've got five weeks of the making of a different album each week. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that we're going to start with uh, the making of uh, Motorhead Ace of Spades. That was Motorhead a fantastic album. Yep. Yep, that's and and, nice. the, and the list is great. Though. You go, you go from that. You go then to the Stooges, Royal Power, the Rolling Stone. Uh, Satanga Majestic Request. Yep. The make of the New York Doll, too much, uh, too, too much, too soon. Right. The second. And the make of uh, REM, which uh, first REM I, album, yeah, which is a good. I, 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 and I hate to say it, I hate REM. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But they would, you know, I, I don't listen to them anymore. But at the time, I kind of liked that very early, early stuff, and then yeah. they just got, they just kind of got too preachy or whatever. But you know, some of those songs hold up today. The Black History, I'm definitely looking. I don't know too much about Sunhouse, but I do know Robert Johnson. I do well, Hollywood Sun, well, and Bo well, Diddy. Sunhouse, so. Sunhouse taught Robert Johnson. 
Yes, I'm going to have to look that up because yeah. I, I, that I have no clue about. I don't know if you remember about maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, Martin Scorsese did a special uh, on PBS about blues artists. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. It was like a week-long thing, like a Ken Burns thing, but Scorsese did it. Oh yeah, they, they, yeah. They, you know what? Those those things on PBS they're always great, yeah, man. Yeah, they, they had they yeah. did like the history of rock and roll, something that which was phenomenal. Well, there was the history of country music recently that was really good. Yeah, the history of country music was also excellent. Jazz, Even if you did like country music, jazz was great. Ken Burns. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ken Burns. Or you know what? You, you you want a great documentary? You go on um on TVS and they got some great documentary. But and and like I got, and like I told you the other day um. If you look at the documentary that came out from uh, the the Bee Gees on HBO, it is fantastic. The other one, you guys, that that one that uh, the Beatle one looks fantastic. Yeah, I can't Peter wait Jackson, to see that. Get back. Yeah, yeah, that looks good. That looks good. I'll check. That I think out. that's I think that's something that we we might have to once it come out, we might have to review. It's coming out March fifth. I think that's something that we should put on the schedule. Is it, maybe going like, too. Is it going like? The- you know, like HBO Plus or Disney app or something, or what's it? I, I don't know, but but it looks so like if you show the footage, it's like fucking fantastic, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say quick, though, is, is with the Scorsese blues thing, they had a collection of music from that documentary that you could buy on CD, and it was very affordable. It was like $10 a disc or something, and there was one dedicated just to Sun House. If you have a chance to find it, maybe on YouTube or something, check it out. It was a complete, you know, uh, uh, just a fantastic collection of his music. Simple acoustic playing, you know, but just so much feeling, you know. You know, you know who was a guy that I liked. That I was, I was shocked you didn't put on the list. That Betty. You know, I got no. I like Lead Belly. Yeah, I mean, you could go crazy with that stuff. You could do like a whole six months on these guys. I mean, they're just I mean, they're, they're so important. You know what I mean? Uh, they, wait till you start reading about Sunhouse, okay? Yeah, you're gonna see why. Because Betty, like I had a, I had a ten disc collection that I lost. I have no idea what it is of Lead Betty, and he did like all those country songs that you hear now, like Texas Flood, and yeah. and you listen to all this shit. You're like, holy shit! And it was this guy, and the sound was like a raw. It's just him and the guitar, yep. and it's that raw guitar right. sound and him singing right. he got that voice, voice. fantastic stuff yeah. man yeah, I like, he's, he's definitely yeah. a guy we need to uh do one day something we can go there and, and and you know so many of the uh proto-punk fans like the stooges and the mc5 okay and even and even the new york dolls to some degree they all drew from these old blues guys okay yeah and, and it just it when you when you read about it what they and how they lived, man. I mean, they were just so poor, and they were just they were yeah. like garbage. It was still racism, things like that going on. And and uh, then when the Stones came along in the '60s, they actually helped some of these guys, like Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf's the other one we're covering, right? Yeah, yeah Howlin' Wolf. That was the one I couldn't remember. Uh, you know, when, when the Stones one time on, on a TV show, they said, "Well, well, you know, we'll do your show, but we want to bring on Howlin' Wolf." And he was, he was already an old man at that point, but he came on and he played with them. You know what's funny? The next Black History, you might have to put Let Betty and you might have to put in B.B. Uh, King. B.B. King. I, you know what? I could do that way before. It doesn't have to be Black History. You know, because yeah. B.B. Uh, King's another guy that we need to talk about. That's another guy. He was a pioneer, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So, all right, Rob. 
That's all I got yeah, for so today. Not bad, not bad. Five albums that live album that you need to get or that you need to add to your collection because you yeah, that you won't be disappointed. This is like probably uh this is probably like a good uh six to seven hours worth of music. Easily, easily. You know, that you can add to your collection. So, Mike, how can we get in contact with you and uh, find you now? Okay, uh, I'm all over the place. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Michael Baker. Also on Facebook on the uh, Rock Show podcast group page. Me and you run that. Yep. Uh, then we got on Instagram, RockerMike212. You can find me on Twitter, RockerMike3. And I've branched out to Parlor now, just under Rocker Mike. And also on something called MeWe, M-E-W-E. You're not Rocker, you're not Rocker Mike. You're President Elect. Oh yeah, that's Mike. right. I'm President Elect Rocker Mike. Excuse me, but you can find me on the Rocker Mike. That's true. That's true. Well, anybody can be President Elect, right? So <laughs> that's true. I forgot I did that. And then on MeWe, I'm Rocker Mike. MeWe is kind of like an alternative Facebook that's trying to get its legs and get off the ground, but uh. I'm out there too. Just you know, drop a line, put a suggestion, say hi. Um, I added quite a bit to the uh, the Rock Show podcast group page on Facebook this week. I don't know if you noticed that. Probably about maybe twenty five. Yeah, people. I approve a few people too. We got a lot of requests. So there's sometimes I just wake up and I see a bunch yeah. of people. I just approve them. You know, oh, yeah. let them all in. Doesn't matter as long as yeah, as long but as we're, decent. We're, we're also getting some people from the pages, like from the Sex Pistols, those other people that started to come over. So that's why we're getting so many uh, well, we got lucky requests, with the, too. With the Glenn Matlock interview. I think we grabbed a few people with that. Yeah, we grabbed a lot of people. Even Hey, let me tell you, you know what show's doing phenomenal? The Leather Leone. Is it really? Yeah. Um, it got, like, it got, like, the, the on, um, on the, the podcast, got about a good four or five hundred hits. Oh, okay. And it's a hard thing, and we put it up on her page too, yeah. so her fans are definitely loyal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I seen, um, and she commented too on Twitter about it. I, I saw recently. There was some likes on Twitter yeah. with that. Yeah. So hey, you know, let's just keep moving. That's all we can do. We keep moving, and um, any if everybody want to get in touch with me, uh, you can find me at Rob Rossi or anything getting lumped up, and I'm pretty much. Uh, behind doing um answering question and and viewers man um we're also gonna debut the new um song in the episode the the, the new theme song you see how many hits I got on YouTube yeah yeah that's right my buddy my buddy Vinny Scolicati did he did the theme song that we're gonna start using on next week's show which will be about Grand Parsons yeah. So I got to talk to you uh, once the show's over. I got to talk to you because I think I'm going to break the song into two. I think I'm going to make it a 30-second intro oh, okay. for the song, and then and then the rest ended at the end of the show. Okay. All right. Give me a call. You know why? So we'll talk about that. So people, remember, don't get, don't drunk, get drunk. Get lumped up. And see you next week. It's only here on The Rock Show.
Let's get lumped up on the rock show. 